Welcome to Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb, and this is my co-host, Mike. And we are here to talk about our three movies, yet another wrap-up show. All three of these movies deal with film in one way or another. And the one word that really stuck out to me this time is escape. Each of these three movies and our three protagonists, and I'm going to say uh, Shoshana is our protagonist for Inglorious Bastards, even though it's an ensemble piece. We have film lovers who are using film as an escape in one way or another. Cecilia in Purple Rose of Cairo is using it as a mental escape from her harsh reality. Chili Palmer in Get Shorty is using it as a physical escape from this life of crime into something that he would rather do and have a much better time. And Shoshana is using it as an escape from the world reality to create a better world. Maybe I'm using that a little freely here, but she's essentially using it as a weapon to end the Third Reich. How did you feel about the use of cinema in these three films? Are you asking on a more, like, personal level? Like, what am I capable of, or what would I aspire to? Like, without my personal movie fandom, which way do I want to, to use this <laughs> art form? It's hard to beat killing Nazis. That's it's hard to. Yeah, you're that. right. <laughs> I agree. If I were to, to be realistic, I probably use it as an escape the way Cecilia does in Purple Rose of Cairo. <laughs> More so than, but yeah, we're using we're, we're really seeing it as a progression in all three of these films. Is they're using film in a much more uh, productive way, from pure escapism to professional escapism. And then into killing Nazis. You're right. I would rather do the latter. <laughs> Unfortunately, I feel like I do more of the former. I would say that the one that sticks out to me, which is funny, Get Shorty and Glorious Bastards. So you, you mentioned that the Chili Palmer character in Get Shorty is uh, trying to transition out of his uh, mobster profession. So while he plays it totally cool, it never seems too tense. About a situation, he seems like he's totally in control. Uh, it would be a lifestyle and a job that would add stress uh, to my days. So I would say that him and Shoshana, if you look at them in the real world sense, have more of a need to escape. But Mia Farrow's character in Purple Rose of Cairo is coming from an abusive marriage, and she's living through the Great Depression. So all of them kind of have their backs up to the wall I think, though, that Cecilia in Purple Rose of Cairo, I don't think it's it's going to be hard to argue that she's far more passive. She's more of a realistic aspiration for a film lover that she just wants to be carried away by the movies. Whereas certainly Chili Palmer and Shoshana, uh, they are active participants in making it happen for them. Whatever that may be, whether it's killing Nazis or just being in a position of power where you can finally insult a short day DeVito and be, be the producer, <laughs> be over top of him. But it's also, you know, I think you're right. It's far more likely that anyone listening to a movie podcast or just being a film goer, you're going to be Cecilia. You're just going to check out of reality and live in a fantasy world for a couple hours and then have to go and face it again. What worries me is... Cecilia does get an opportunity to make her real life much better because of cinema by choosing the fictional version of Jeff Daniels. And ultimately, she is unsure whether she's going to do that. And when she chooses the real one, 
it all just kind of comes crashing down on her. So she's really the only one who doesn't get, I guess, what she wants out of cinema the way that the other two protagonists do. Like, Chili Palmer transitions beautifully into life as a producer slash, um, I guess, writer. I don't know uh, what he what else he might be just doing. A general mover and shaker. You know, he, he yeah. has an idea, and then someone else can do the uh, the hard work, the heavy lifting. He just <laughs> says, I'd like to see a movie about me, which is great. That's <laughs> that's the dream. Exactly. And then Shoshana, I guess, you know, I don't know what the original plan was. I don't know if she was going to burn down the theater, kill everybody there, and then escape, or whether she was going to go down burning. I'm not sure what the original plan was, but ultimately she wanted to get rid of these Nazis, and she does, even though she has to kind of give her own life. That's the hardest one for me to see you doing. Not that I don't think that you could, you're incapable of being a valiant hero, but you burning your film collection? I I feel like you would find another way. You just wouldn't go to that. That would be plan Z, for sure. That is fair. Uh, to be honest with you, though, at this point, because most of my library is digital, <laughs> I don't know. How, upload a computer virus. I, I have no idea how. Okay. All right. How Jeff we Goldblum. Would do that. I see it. Independence Day. I get you. Yeah. Do you find it interesting that in our selected trilogy here, that the only one that doesn't have any sort of element of fantasy to it and gets shorty is the one that is most consistently pleasant and amusing. Like you do have people pointing guns at each other. It's set in our world, you know, I mean, it's still a movie, but it's still set in 1995 Hollywood, our plane of existence. It's not an alternate history, like what Tarantino's doing. And it's not this magical realism that you get with what Woody Allen and Mia Farrow do in Purple Rose of Cairo. But yet, People point guns at each other, they throw each other downstairs, they punch each other, then they have a conversation about what their filmography is like. It's the one that is the nicest. (laughs) Even though I do think this might be one of our most successful trilogies as far as pure entertainment value. And maybe it's our shared love of movies that kind of bleed through here. That while we did spend a good deal of time on Purple Rose of Cairo on that episode talking about the gut punch ending... Uh, I just was listening to our Inglorious Bastards episode this morning, and you even said, yeah, we're scalping people, and people are shot and betrayed, and it's tense, but it's pretty fun. <laughs> it's like you're almost <laughs> like apologizing, which is funny, because I'm sure Tarantino makes no apologies None. for this World War II movie being fun and entertaining. But I did find it interesting that the only one set in reality with the threat of violence still doesn't have the threat level that Purple Rose of Cairo does with her decision, or certainly in Glorious Bastards when you're taking down the Third Reich. That's a really good point. Get Shorty has this kind of nonchalant attitude about everything that's happening. I'm never worried about any of the characters. Even Dennis uh, Farina, I think, uh, is his last name? It's the heavy, the heel. Yes. Yeah, can't Dennis take fair a, enough. a crap without being interrupted by that disgusting Gene Hackman. That's that's you, Webb. <laughs> if you were in this trilogy, it's being insane with rage that Gene Hackman called <laughs> and interrupted a bowel movement. I could see that from you. And I've loved this actor actually in every everything he's done. He's always kind of in the background. Uh, he was in a sitcom that I I don't want to say love, but I thoroughly enjoyed uh i would say in the early 2000s i think it lasted maybe four episodes before the network was like all right that's enough of this wow you're digging deep here 
I am, and I don't, and so deep I don't even remember the title. But he's a great actor, and he's a great heavy. He's a great villain, and yet I wasn't in the mood to be like, oh, I can't wait till he gets his. I was just pleased to be in his presence and see this performance, and and get shorty is essentially that you're not worried about anything you're literally there for what i guess cecilia wants from her films like it's it's a great uh it's just a great time i mentioned this on the episode for get shorty like i don't know what's going on but i'm just happy to be along for the ride I, do you ever listen to shows where they actually have people like in the chat and it's such a crutch and I, yes. the fans will correct the host or they'll say like a host will be like, I don't remember this show. And then someone will do that research for you. I aspire to that web where we do live <laughs> shows and people do all the research. They fill in the gaps for us. Uh, but instead, <laughs> you know, I, I jumped in and um, a show called in-laws that lasted 15 episodes. Is that what you're Wow. Fif- I'm going to have to find it online if it went that long. Uh, from what I remember, the premise is that poor Dennis has to take in his daughter and her husband and they live together now because he can't uh something happened with his job and so that's the that's the comedy here like i'm living like with my version. in-laws imdb's version is saying that it's the poor married man who has to move in with his in-laws to his wife's parents home uh, quote <laughs> okay. only to have his life completely taken over by her father played by dennis farina like so they have a different spin on it and uh gene smart was the uh the wife I <gasps> assume, was the mother-in-law so oh yes oh my god why was this show not a big hit i'm gonna have to go back and, and uh follow up with you on on please subscribe <laughs> on to our this. patreon where web and i review uh obscure <laughs> sitcom episodes one dollar <laughs> give us a dollar and we'll do that we'll show talked about and i think you're right get shorty takes its cues as does the audience from the main character this sort of ambivalence of the violence that could consume him when it's never in doubt that he's going to succeed it's just going to see how many pieces he kind of moves around the board and watch you know poor dennis farina uh gene hackman all of them pratfall uh Delroy Lindo takes a literal <laughs> pratfall just <laughs> to his death, and it's it's played as a, <laughs> a, a strange gotcha moment. Which of these three films, because I, I said that Get Shorty sticks out, but I think that in this particular question, all three, I think you could pick any of them. Which one do you think is the most amount of fan service to movie lovers or the idea of being a movie lover where you would get to engage with the form in such a way? They handle it in different ways, but which one... Do you think, I mean, it's it's obviously playing to a theater-going crowd of being consumed by the world of movies and that power of movies. And I just wonder which one you thought, in the nicest form of fan fiction, not that, not the, the negative connotation with the, you know, the, the Snyder cut and all that that causes so many 
so many people such pain it's such a, such a weird thing the superhero <laughs> movie but a nice version of fan fiction which one do you think applies that the most uh the i guess the, the heaviest push here on that it's got to be get shorty because wow of this, how this meta... has become the episode where we're saying get shorty wins it all they <laughs> <laughs> Beats Woody Allen, beats Quentin Tarantino, uh, Barry Sonnenfeld, you win again, as you always were going to. It was always get shorty. <laughs> it, it's the most – it's a love letter. It's a love letter to movies and how clever they can be and sometimes how overly clever they think they are but they're not. It aspires to be – and I think this is because of John Travolta's character and his performance because he's – a film lover who wants to be in film, he kind of lives his life in that way. The cool gangster. It's like there's, I've never met a gangster. I don't know if you have, but I can't imagine they're this cool, <laughs> you know, and they're, they're bootleggers. If that counts, I guess that's a uh, very Southern <laughs> Kentucky version of it, but they were not Chili Palmer. I can no, that. no, they weren't. When the film, ends up trying to be too clever and kind of loses me in terms of plot and the kind of the knee deep into the the specifics of the industry even when it loses me I don't mind because it's just trying so hard to please you that ultimately you know where its heart is and that's just complete admiration for cinema and I'm not saying that and I think Tarantino probably has more references and more homages and and more subtleties to his film than something like Get Shorty that I don't even I can't even comprehend that I haven't even dug into that somebody hasn't written uh, a, an amazing essay outlining every single thing and maybe that's the one but because it's not quite wearing its heart on its sleeve the way that Get Shorty is I'm gonna have to give it to Get Shorty and Purple Rose of Cairo. It is. It's it's a very literal take on the fact that I want to be in the movies. And that's great, and it works. But there's something unrefined about Get Shorty that I can't help but just kind of fall like in love with. Yeah. This is an apology episode to Get Shorty, which I think you gave a new record low of 22-minute runtime on that. <laughs> and so you're making up for it in this wrap-up special <laughs> by giving all of it to Get Shorty. See, I was... Even trying to give you an out to to move to Inglorious Bastards by mentioning bootlegging, which Brad Pitt's character also had a past in, uh, in that his uh, Outer Reigns character. I think that of the three, Inglorious Bastards may be the, strangely, the film snobbiest, <laughs> if that's such a term, of the three. Yeah, uh, I could easily see that. Because it is coming from a guy that I... I think in his mind truly believes that the world would be a better place if we just lived in Tarantino land. Like, I think that's why he's gone so into the alternate sort of history model, which I, you know, I was not as big a fan. We talked a little bit on the, the episode on bastards about uh, Django. And, and then you mentioned your love of, of hateful eight, uh, which I think hateful eight actually plays with the alternate history thing a little bit more uh, because you have a character that supposedly has had communication with Abraham Lincoln and spoiler alert for that, that's revealed to be a very clever ruse to of, of means of survival. Uh, and I think that it's a pretty delicious setup from Tarantino because we've come to expect like, Oh, his characters just constantly were uh, right involved with in this historical context to, to change the world to and make it the Tarantino verse. 
certainly happens in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I loved. I think you were not as big a fan of. I think you were a hater, a well-known hater of this. I the mob had... came for you online, as they should. <laughs> <laughs> I decided on what I wanted the film to be before I sat down in that theater. And it wasn't, and I had to deal with that in a very negative way. <laughs> it, And that's the one thing that I think is the reason why people dislike certain films and others that they love is because of their preconceived notions of what they expect to happen. And, uh, you know, Star Wars is a great example of this. It's like when my fan theory doesn't come true on screen, then I'm going to just hate whatever happens. I'm constantly trying my best to go into every movie and enjoy it on its terms and not my own. I fell into that trap with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because I was coming off of Hateful Eight. Because I kind of knew going in, it was not maybe a murder mystery, but it was that bottle episode. It was very stagey, as you mentioned. I already was going to love it, and I ended up obviously loving it. And so maybe I wanted something out of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that I didn't get. It was only until afterwards, and I remember leading up to its release, you paid full price for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, something that <laughs> is unlike you, and that's how much in love you were. And I you're... think that's the only time. Only time. <laughs> I, I've done it a couple times. Once I, I did it with Parasite, because I was just so... I just needed to watch it again. It was infectious. Your love of that movie was so infectious. It got me excited, because while I didn't like... Once Upon a Time in Hollywood on my theatrical viewing, it's just stuck in my head. And there's something about a film that sticks with you, even if you don't like it. In a good way, though. Because I kept thinking more and more about the stuff that I did like. It's just something... And that's why I hate the immediate reaction. Like, as soon as the film finishes, you get onto Twitter and you bitch about it. And I've, I've, you know, I've done that plenty. Or you go on Letterboxd and you immediately give it a half star. Great. <laughs> you know, film criticism. That's what it is today. It You really need to sit with it and think about it. And a challenging film like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is really, to be honest with you, it's not challenging in the way that, you know, uh, gosh, I'm trying to pull something out. Nothing that it will appear on this podcast, I can assure you, <laughs> as we sing the praises of Get Shorty. <laughs> you know, I... <laughs> I mentioned a couple filmmakers uh, when you, I, and Dave were talking about American Desi and guys like Antonioni and and, uh, where film language was changed and reinvented. It's like, it's not challenging. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is not challenging in that regard. It's still a super entertaining film. Even the films that don't agree with you right away, I think it's a mistake to dismiss. And so that's why I've kind of come around. And this is my big apology to Tarantino and to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> Just because I didn't like it at first doesn't mean that I'm never going to. And and I've come to understand what the film is a bit more. And I do enjoy it now. I think that the world will just be a better place. And maybe this steers my, my vote to Purple Rose of Cairo if there was a world where Webb was like Cecilia and just kept going back to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood until Brad Pitt or maybe even Leo looked out the screen. It's like, you've been here a lot lately. Like It, just, it <laughs> seems like you're just not having a good time yet. What can we do, Webb, to make you enjoy this more? And you get to ride around with Brad Pitt, you know, just in uh, Hollywood, late 60s. It'd be great.
one of the things that I do want to ask you, and this going a little off tangent here, we love movies so much, but you've got a regular job. I've got mm-hmm. a regular job. I, I at least you got to work in a video store and, and live yeah. the clerk's life. You know, yep. I lived the clerk's life, but that's because my father <laughs> owned a Seven Eleven and I worked in it as a regular employee. <laughs> Yours and was got yelled at more family father. sitcom style. Yes, <laughs> yes. And, and I didn't have pithy conversations with my coworkers because I was getting, you know, <laughs> ordered by my dad. Like, what are you doing? And I was like, nothing. There's no customers. Go clean the windows. <laughs> you know, you and you and old uh, pops not arguing about Return of the Jedi just didn't didn't happen. Not no, not at all. I had to make sure that the coffee was fresh every hour. <laughs> and I and you know what? I've been in other 7-Elevens and <laughs> I get what my dad was talking about. Some of these places are in shambles. Like why is this coffee not fresh? <laughs> I get that you haven't had a customer a little bit, but in case you do, you want that coffee to be fresh. Uh, so, yeah. You're, you're an I old man now, web. Old web. My father just the other day came over and he's like, hey, I bought you some Metamucil. I think it might help with your digestive system. I'm like, thanks, Dad. <laughs> I am truly an old man at this point. And you know what? I've been taking the Metamucil and you know what? Helping my digestive system. It is. It, I get it. I get it. So anyway, going back to what I originally wanted to say. Do you feel bad that you never took a shot and tried to get into film mm. criticism in a more like professional manner like or or you didn't want to get into script writing or film producing or acting? You're a very charismatic individual. Why you can you can be in a movie and certainly I can oh, no. I can be your best friend, a token, <laughs> you know. <laughs> no, I'm city casting. Um, like when I was in high school and stuff and college took some like acting classes, but it was mainly just to kind of goof around i never i never aspired uh never thought i'm gonna be on the screen one day which uh you know the the fun especially when we're getting to like university level uh lessened when i realized i was dealing with people that was their like only reason for doing it was taking a next step towards that and uh it became a little sad um i i do have one regret in that regard but um because I was far more into like writing um, when I was younger, but not script writing. Like I, I thought it would be cooler to be a comic book writer. Honestly, I thought that would be that would be the ticket. Um, the regret I have now mainly comes from podcasting. Is I really started to enjoy the process of kind of manipulating uh, time and an effect, a mood that you can set um, with editing. Now this is just audio editing, but now my regret would probably be. Uh, wouldn't that be cool to <laughs> not have to deal with, you know, release the Snyder cut or poor Ryan Johnson still getting attacked for, for last Jedi. If you could just work with the director uh, after all the, the nastiness on the set has happened, the egos there and say, okay, here are the confines of what we're working with. This is everything we've got. What can we assemble out of that? I think that's a pretty cool job because uh, while it's easy yeah. with a, a class act and insightful, young man like Webb here uh, is your partner. I've been on plenty of podcasts with terrible, terrible fucking guests. And I'm just like, Jesus Christ, losing my hair, trying to figure out <laughs> how to make <laughs> some sort of half hour conversation out of what we just did for, you know, if I'm working with Dave, it's like three hours long and there's like 10 minutes of good material. That is, you know, that is a, a nightmare. 
Um, Dave on uh, Off Screen Death, which you mentioned, he is definitely a Fincher guy. It just takes so many takes. <laughs> it's like, Dave, just just say the title of the show, please. So like, we don't need to do a hundred <laughs> takes of this. <laughs> but yeah, that now that's that's a regret late in life is I don't think I had an appreciation for the what the editor did uh, when I was a film fan as a young man, and now I look at it and I think it it would probably be the the job, you know, getting rid of fame and money, all of that. That would probably be the job I would most enjoy doing. So yeah, that that is a legitimate regret of mine now. I am hundred percent there with you, and that's why I look. I know the episode might be a late a day late. It might be a couple days late, but I want to edit this. I love the editing process. And I go back to a quote from Scott Mosier from a very old Smodcast episode where he was asked to edit a film. And it wasn't going so well because it was a comedy. And ultimately, the movie wasn't very funny. But the person who ultimately hired him was like, we want, to, we want it to be like Borat. And he said, well, then you should give me the film reel for Borat like I can't put this together and so but I love the challenge I love the challenge of getting a bunch of material that someone else has made and kind of forming their vision for them I like that a lot just the other day a friend a co-worker a friend of mine was writing an essay for a master's class about research methodology in in history and it is a dry and she warned me she's like this is a dry topic but i have this paper i'm wondering if you can read it and edit it i was like oh absolutely and boy was it dry oh my god and the word history was used over and over to the point where it stopped making any sense but i liked the challenge of it and when i got back to her all while the edits that i had made you know i don't you don't have to use all of them but here's what i thought and we talked about it and it was a wonderful experience ultimately like we had a great time discussing why the paper worked and where the trouble was I, I, and that wasn't even about film it was just the editing process so i do love that i i do worry about the two of us i guess sometimes i think back to the uh, the willy wonka line where I, I I can't remember what it's an apropos of when he says it to the little girl, but he was like, we are the music makers. We are the dreamers of dreams. Are we not those people? We decided to have regular jobs and just keep <laughs> keep cinema at a distance, I guess. And then that it becomes our hobby. But hey, maybe that's why we can we're still in love with it, because it's not something that is forced upon us. We chose cinema, despite the fact that. It's not giving us anything financial, professional. It's just giving us a way to connect to other people and to, I guess, be better versions of ourselves through these two, three-hour installments. It sounds like you're about to break up with movies right now. You're like, you know what? No! <laughs> what do I get out of you? I don't get any money. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have... Uh... Uh, hordes of fans uh, correcting me when I reference a sitcom. I can't name the title. What What are you giving me? Nothing. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> this is the final episode of Trilogy in Theory. <laughs> Get Shorty, the movie that killed Trilogy in Theory. <laughs>